0: Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios.
1: This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts.
0: The same evil work which Satan did in the case of our first parents, he is still engaged in it to this very day, it is still one of his chief aims to lead men to disbelieve the Word of God.
2: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today, we're listening to a sermon that was preached in the middle of the 1800s in England by a man named Francis Bordillon. Troy, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Very tired. The school that I work at had a
1: very long series of tournaments, which is great, but I was doing uh, first aid, so I was keeping, mm-hmm. keeping those kids alive out there. Was this basketball, also,
2: soccer? What kind of what kind of sports are we playing?
1: Basketball. Good question.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Did you I did you not, said basketball. Yeah, basketball. Gotcha. So, hey, helping those helping those kiddos. They if stay I on their feet. if I was playing some basketball, which is highly unlikely to begin with, but if I were, <laughs> and I twisted my ankle, there's no one else I would rather have to come up and put an ice pack on my ankle than Troy Fraser himself. Thank you. You don't mean that, but I did give a lot of ice packs out. You'd, like you'd say a funny joke, was like, and that would make me laugh, and that would make <laughs> it better. So it, 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 I think you would be a good first aid person. There. Thank you. Very kind. So that's what I've been doing. Joel, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm trying to think of what we have going on here. Not a lot. The weather's been kind of crazy. This uh, well, Arctic storm is rolling through here. My city is relatively unscathed compared to the rest of the country, so I'm thankful for that. But um, good. But yeah, not too bad.
1: I will say so. Where we live in Indonesia, uh, well, where we, any of you live in this part of the world, you have a rainy season and you have mm-hmm. a sunny season. Mm-hmm. And we've been in the rainy season for mm. several months, and I am ready for the rainy season to pack the bags and get some sunshine. I didn't. Re- I think a good way to to compare it is kind of like you hear those people in like Alaska who have, you know, like five months of yeah. no sun, yeah. and that's kind of how it feels because even though the sun comes out. It doesn't really come out for like long enough for it to ever matter. Mm -hmm. And the rest, like so much of your day is just gray, dreary clouds. And I was listening to a a video of somebody talking about like life where you don't get sunlight. And I was like, that's kind of like what I feel (laughs) Um, with just a dreary rain instead of just, you know, beautiful auroras. Mm-hmm. Who, who's winning this? There's,
2: there's, a, there's a sermon analogy somewhere deep in there. Some, you know, you, you got to workshop it a little bit, but I, I feel we're pretty waiting confident. on the light to return. Right. It's like we're waiting on our Lord. You that's, can't that's grow properly in the in the in the cloudy shadows.
1: There we go. You may notice, a listener, that we are taking a little bit longer to jump in on this episode. <laughs> so if you're a new listener and you're like, What? Well, this is a lot of pre-talk. We don't normally do it this much, but there's a good reason some, for that. Sometimes we'll explain we do. It depends. Too. It's not as common. All right, Joel. Uh, we also want to shout out some special people. Can you give us the names? Ah, recent Patreons.
2: We thought we'd shout out. Most recently, and I apologize, There, there's a zero percent chance I'm going to pronounce this right, but Sir Gusey, most recently supporting us on Patreon. Gospel Light Society joined us on Patreon. Thank you so much. Whitney Combs and Jacob Dyson uh, are some of our more recent Patreons. Uh, we always like to Give, get a little give a little ear service to the people that um, believe in what we're doing so much that they have gone out of their way to throw some some money our way, a few dollars our way. We really appreciate that again, it is Patreon is our primary way that we fund the show that we that we pay for the uh, services for the bandwidth to send these episodes out uh, and for our equipment and everything along those lines so it really is made possible through uh, everyone specifically our patreons. yeah
1: we really appreciate it there's always little fees just always little things that you need to pay for and because of the amazing people who have been supporting us on patreon that has always been able to be something we could take care of and take and and do as they come up so it's never been a big stress for us and we've been very appreciative. We've also been able to take about, you know, a portion of all the funds that come in and give them to one of our uh our ministry partners, our only ministry partner, which is Serve Now, and they give bicycles to pastors in places around the world who wouldn't have them. And so those pastors who need to go and preach the gospel but they wouldn't be able to get to where they need to go without a bicycle. This is an organization that helps make sure they can do that. And if you live in the third world, you live in some places, you may have an understanding of how difficult it is to travel even a couple miles if you don't have anything to do so, and how much a bicycle can make a really big difference in places like that.
0: Uh, All right,
1: Joel, maybe we should tell, um, Joel, let's get started on this very exciting episode with the world-famous,
2: hugely popular, well-known Francis Bordillon. Bordillon, yeah, I'm actually, I actually love this episode. I love it because it's very fascinating in the sense that it reminds, so when I was a kid, that's a little bit common when I think back about it, but well, maybe it's not. You often hear of like teenagers getting up to no good and in cemeteries. Like, you know, we weren't vandalizing anything or anything like that. But I, I, I have fond memories of me and my uh, my friends wandering through cemeteries at night just to kill. You know, on the way to the on the way to the Dairy Queen or something like that. Um, Are you guys ghosts? That's the the last place I would want to go on the way. That's to anywhere. why I said it's, it's a, a little macabre. That's why I said it's a little like looking back on it. I think. And I don't know. I still find it fascinating. I find it fascinating, especially if you find like a really neat old cemetery where these headstones, you know, they're from people that are 150, 200 years ago. So, you know, we have we have cemeteries around here that um, there's lots of Civil War vets that you know that died in battle and stuff like that, and you see their headstone, and it has uh, various information. You know, depending on on how wealthy their their family was when they died, you could afford more inscriptions you know talking about who they were and what they did uh and i find that stuff fascinating i find when you can just take a peek into someone's life and just hear a little blurb who's who this person from the past that's also why i love this is i'm going on a tangent here also why i love estate sales and if you don't know what an estate sale is it's something we do here in america not everyone does but it's when it's uh, old people die in their house uh and then Family, it's usually family members that will hold a sale where they sell a bunch of the stuff in the house that they don't know what to do with and so you go into a recently deceased person's house and you sort through their stuff and and you can buy you can buy some really cool stuff in there but one of the most interesting things that i always find are these old photo albums and you feel like that's something you wouldn't want to sell but i find them in there quite a bit i guess they don't really have any relatives that care about their family lineage as much it's but kind of sad. i love flipping through old family albums of, of people that I do not know have, you know, will never know uh, just to get a glimpse of into what their life was like. Uh, if only for a moment, you know, uh, you, what kind of sports did they play in high school back in the 1930s or whatever it may be like, that's fascinating to me. This, this episode kind of gives me that same type of fascination because what we know about Francis Bordelin is essentially a handful of facts that you might find on a tombstone. Imagine imagine you stumbled across a tombstone that had an inscription on it and then like there was like a little drawer <laughs> built into the tombstone. And in that drawer, there was a book of sermons. And that's essentially what, we, what we've come across here. Uh, so the, the tombstone in this scenario, this fictional scenario that I made up would say, Francis Bordelin was born in 1816 in England in Hunting Dunshire. In 1846, he got married to Sophia. He would have four kids, including Francis William Bordelin. Francis William is a famous poet who wrote great poetry. Francis Bordelin ran a school in a church in wool bedding. He died in 1912. That's it. So I got, I got five lines of six lines of text here that make up <laughs> literally, I think all anyone knows of who this man was. Uh, in addition to a small collection of sermons that we also have, um, that we accredit back to him. But, uh, very, very little. Not that, that's that's the extent of our of our internet investigation, our research. We could come up on who this man was, uh, and I find that fascinating. I, I like these. You know, revived thoughts wouldn't be revived thoughts if we only covered the the big known famous people. Part of the kind of the the thesis, the modus operandum of this show is. All of the, you know, representing all the people, the the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, right? All these people that... That's that's what I think of. I was thinking yeah. this
1: episode is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, except we do know his name, and that's all we really know sure, about Sure,
2: sure, yeah. Yeah, how many hundreds of thousands of people were preaching the gospel uh, throughout history that we know nothing about, uh, and we know just enough about this guy to put together uh, an episode of Revive Thoughts on? What's really interesting to me, so I did find a little bit more. And and by the way,
1: I don't want to like say, you know, I, I would never toot my own horn or brag here, but I will say, like, I've we've been doing this for almost four years. I'm pretty good at being able to find at least some information. And we've done episodes on people, William Muir, uh, Landles. I mean, people you've never heard of, people no one's ever heard of, and we've been able to come together and find at least something somewhere about them. This is the first time where I was just like. The first name that came up was a genealogical website. In fact, before I found I actually spent some time putting together the episode, and then I realized I was putting it together on his son with almost the same with the same name, but the William in the middle, and I realized I had the wrong Francis Bordillon, the real Francis Bordillon that we want is the father who there's just no information on. It was almost kind of like a moment of like, oh no, what what do we do here? Cause he's going to be impossible to find things on him. The Bordillon name was a European house at one point, like a crest, and they had a whole family line. And some of the fr- the Bordillon kids went off to do really great things. Some of them were like captains in World War One, and some of the, like, the grandkids would end up climbing Mount Everest and like those early expeditions and stuff like that. But this guy, we don't know. <laughs> we really don't know anything about him in that way. Yeah, like you said, Joel, it's actually one of the things I really enjoy about this show too. It would be so easy to just take your top 10, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, um, you, whatever, J.C. Ralph a few of those guys, and just do them on repeat. And we could do them, and a lot of you would really like that. There might even be some people who would prefer that. Yet I think part of the fun of this show, of going through church history, is going to people whom we've never heard of and learning some really amazing stories. I have almost loved the people that I didn't have any clue about beforehand. People like John Flavel or... Uh, recently the episode on Ambrose or just some of these really cool people who or people I thought I knew really well and then upon more research I realized I didn't know that that person nearly as well as I thought these are some of the really interesting sides of what we get to do and in Francis Bordillon's case I feel like he's kind of a monument and a memorial to all the people whom there is just no research on It's kind of sad too, because like this guy didn't die in 756, you know, we just lost his records. This guy died in 1912. His son is actually a famous poet. And, and honestly, I read some of his poetry, but I thought that was him still. It's pretty good. And yet we still just don't know anything about him. So many of the people who are serving the church today, overseas or in the church or in the pulpit or wherever you are, you're going to be a Bordellan. You're going to be forgotten. When people, If people try to make a revived Thoughts episode about you 200 years from now, they're going to come up empty handed. But it reminds me of a story about George Mueller, uh, which is ironic because we have a George Mueller episode coming up and it's not related to this. Uh, but there was a man who went, it was a big George Mueller fan and, and who wouldn't be. But he went to uh, visit the kind of like the sites where the original orphanages were. He goes there and he says, hey, do you have anything on George Mueller? And when he gets there, the woman's like, oh, hold on. And she goes in the back and she comes back with a cardboard box and is like, here. And this was all the stuff that the George Mueller sites, a hundred years later, had left of George Mueller's memorabilia, just a few notebooks and things that they kept in a cardboard box. And it's like, that dude changed orphanages, ministry, and the world and his own institution just has all his stuff in a cardboard box. They've completely moved on. And yet, God did not forget George Mueller. You know, Joel and I once stood in the last spot that D.L. Moody preached in Kansas City, and we looked around and we said, there's no sign, there's no evidence that he was here. If we hadn't read and researched where he did it, we would not know this was the spot. And yet, God knows this was the last spot D.L. Moody preached. He remembers the work that D.L. Moody did. He knows what all the faithful servants around the world of God are doing at all times, and he knows about the Bordillons and the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are like him, even though we humans have forgotten all that they have done for us we don't even know the impact that they have had on this world and yet god remembers each and every one of his faithful servants and he remembers all the things that we have forgotten and so there are many of us toiling away you may be in that boat you may not be in ministry but you're still you're raising your kids you're parenting you're a good husband you're a good wife you're taking care of your parents who need you you're there for these different people you're working hard and you're sitting there going man nobody sees this nobody remembers this well you know what no one remembers george Mueller. no one remembers Dale moody like these people have gotten forgotten by their own institutions and yet god remembers you just as much as he remembers Bordillon, just as much as he remembers any and every single one of us who are faithfully serving in him he sees what you're doing and he will continue to remember it and it will not be lost to eternity because god forgets nothing and so i love Bordillon episodes I love these episodes where we hit the kind of unique guy who would have been forgotten had it not been for a show like ours who enjoys going to these places. And I hope you enjoy this sermon by a guy who genuinely has been forgotten and lost to history. We couldn't give you more information if we wanted to. And yet, he served God faithfully for almost 100 years, it looks like. And you're going to listen to a sermon that I think is pretty good by Francis Bordellin.
0: serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Genesis 3:4. This is a sad chapter, perhaps the saddest in the whole Bible. For it tells us of the fall of man, of sin entering into the world, and death by sin. It is a tale of loss and sorrow and ruin. And it ends with our first parents being driven out from that happy paradise in which they had lived until then, never to return there again. But from then on to labor for their daily bread, until the time should come when they should return to the dust from which they were taken. How did this sad change arise? All from denying, disbelieving, and disobeying the word of God. God had said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The evil one, coming to Eve in the form of the serpent, gave the lie to this word of God. You will not surely die. The woman listened to the tempter's voice. The word of God was no longer regarded, and she and the man ate of the forbidden tree. Which word proved true? The word of God or the word of Satan? Let the state of the world for these six thousand years answer the question. No sooner was the deed done then its consequences were felt. Then came a guilty conscience, a strangeness toward God, hard labor, sickness, and death. From that moment, death lay before Adam and Eve. In due time, they died, and ever since, the whole race of man has been subject to death. The Word of God came true. It always must come true. The same evil work which Satan did in the case of our first parents, he is still engaged in it to this very day, it is still one of his chief aims to lead men to disbelieve the Word of God. With regard to the Bible as a whole, Satan's object is to throw discredit on it. In the case of Adam and Eve, the Word of God was the spoken word, that is, what God had said to them. In our case, the Word of God is the written word, the scriptures, written at different times and by different men, but all inspired by God. In different ways, each suited to different minds and to different states of thought and of knowledge, the evil one tries to do away with the authority of the Bible. To Eve, he said boldly, you shall not surely die, in direct opposition to what God had declared. And sometimes he still dares to give the lie to scriptures and tempts men to think it altogether false. But often his plan is more crafty. He seeks to lead the mind into a state of doubt and confusion. The Bible is a good book, that he does not dare to deny unless he should show his plan too plainly, but he suggests to the mind difficulties and objections in his scheming. Inspiration, for instance. What is it, and how far does it go, and how can we be sure of it? Though the Bible may be true as a whole, yet are there no parts which are not true? And even if true, are we not to look upon much of it as allegorical and figurative and not simply true? Who can tell what is to be taken literally and what figuratively? How can this doctrine be reconciled with that doctrine? Is not such and such a statement against all our common sense? Can we believe that God would do this or that? Some of these doubts and questions may seem at first sight to have little, if anything, wrong in them but closer examination will show where they come from when they are suggested in a skeptical or critical spirit. Anything that tends to lead away from a simple belief in the word of God must be evil. It is a device of Satan to ensnare souls, as dangerous a device as that which he used with Eve when he said, you will not surely die. It is perhaps even more dangerous because it is more subtle. Satan pursues the same object with regard to particular truths of the Bible. His aim is to make men disbelieve what God has said. For instance, the Word of God declares that God sees all and hears all and is everywhere present. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together." The tempter seeks to make men disbelieve this, and they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? At least he strives to lead men to forget it, for there are many who dare not deny the truths of Scripture, and yet live in constant forgetfulness of them. And when God is forgotten, his all-seeing eye, his all-hearing ear, his presence everywhere... Then the sinner goes on in his own way, and Satan's goal is gained. Again, the Bible declares endless misery to be the portion of impenitent sinners. It speaks of the second death, and of eternal death, and of damnation, and of the worm that never dies and the fire that is never quenched. And nothing can be plainer than those awful words of our Lord, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 25, 46. But many will not receive this truth. The sinner tries to disbelieve it. And some even who have some reverence for the word of God do not simply bow to what it says on this point. Eternal misery, they say, means something less than eternal. How vain is this? Eternal happiness and eternal misery rest on the same word. If the punishment of the lost could be proved to be less than everlasting, then that very argument would also shorten the happiness of the saved. If forever means less than forever in one case, then it must do so in the other too. Satan cares not what it is that is set up in opposition to the Word of God so long as it is in opposition to it. The natural pride of the heart, the vanity of learning, or the mind's instinctive shrinking from a fearful and eternal doom. If Satan can lead men to believe what they presumptuously think God ought to have said, rather than what God has said, then his end is gained. And this way of thinking seems to be often the root of a doubt about eternal punishment. There are many doubters who do not suspect where their doubts come from, Yet a denial of the eternity of punishment bears a most striking likeness to the words of the evil one to Eve, you will not surely die. For in the face of the words of our Lord, these will go away into eternal punishment. Men are led to comfort themselves with this lying comfort, you will not surely die. It is not eternal. It is but for a time, these are a few of the ways in which Satan still carries on his work of denying the word of God. The devil is constantly engaged in this work. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. On the other hand, whoever is of God hears the words of God. John 8:44 and 47. Our Lord places the two in direct opposition. Satan contradicts the word of God and the child of God hears, believes, and obeys it. Yet the child of God must watch and pray against an enemy so crafty and so powerful. I am afraid, writes Paul to the Corinthians, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.3 Satan strives to make men disbelieve the promises as well as the threatenings of God. And seeks not only to lull the sinner to sleep in unbelief and forgetfulness, but also to cloud the gospel in the hearts of believers and to turn away the inquiring soul from a simple faith in Christ into a trust in religious forms and ceremonies and self righteous religious duties. In all points, he shows himself as the denier and opposer of the Word of God. But the Bible is true, it is all true. Its promises and its threats, its history and its doctrines, all rest on the same footing. It is the Word of God. We may not receive one part and reject another. If we do not receive its warnings, then neither may we take comfort from its promises. If we refuse to believe it when it speaks of the fear of the Lord, then we have no right to apply to ourselves its declarations of mercy. The Bible is one. It comes from one God. It is written by one inspiration. It speaks one unchangeable truth. Once doubt that it is true, absolutely and certainly true, then it can no longer be what it is to all who receive it, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Thanks be to God, the Bible does not leave us where this chapter places us. The word of God which tells us of death speaks also of life. The book of Genesis tells us how man fell. The gospel shows us restoration and life. Satan lied when he said, you will not surely die. But wonderful to say, the gospel now declares the very same thing and declares it truly. For the Restorer has come, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by Him the curse is removed, guilt is taken away, and man is reconciled to God. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All who are in Christ by faith do even now live spiritually. And though they must pass through physical death, unless the Lord should first come, yet Jesus has robbed death of its terrors and made it the gate of everlasting life to His people. There is no second death. No death of the soul for them, they are safe in Him. As surely as every child of Adam is subject to death, so surely will every one who is born again and has become a child of God inherit eternal life. But only the true believer has a part in this salvation. There must be a living faith, a real repentance, a thorough work of the Spirit. There must be a belief with the heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. And none will really believe in Him, but those who also believe what the Word of God declares about sin and ruin and death. The Gospel says, you will not surely die. But to whom? To those only who feel that they are dead and look to Christ alone for life. The disease must be felt before the cure can be had. And it is only when a man knows himself a lost and ruined sinner that he will look to Jesus as his almighty Savior.
1: We mentioned at the top of this episode that Bordillon is not the most famous name, and yet he makes a point about Satan, one that you've maybe even heard before, one that I know Lemuel Haynes, who's someone else you may not be familiar with, uh, made in a sermon, very similar subject. Satan starts by getting you to question God's word. That is where Satan goes. That is how Satan works. Satan is going to deny the power of God's word in your life. He, that's where he's going to hit you. Did God really say, is that sin really bad or does that count? Maybe that one doesn't really, or am I supposed to really give that much to the poor? I don't know. Maybe that's not what God means. That's the, that's the angle. That's where God, Satan is going. And Bordillion is reminding us and saying, no, Satan is getting you to doubt God's word. You have got to be living in God's word so that you are protected against this attack.
2: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Kevin Hurley. Thanks to Kevin Hurley for uh, bringing this sermon back to life.
1: If you are interested in reading a sermon for Revive Thoughts, you should send us an email at revivethoughts at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We always can use new speakers, new people who can maybe voice someone else who has been forgotten for us through history or maybe someone famous. Send us that email and we can get you started on that process. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.